Good morning. So we will continue today with, um, we'll continue today with the discussion of um, equi- uh, equalizing self and others. Yeah, the point of which is uh, to really explore if we are more important than others. Okay. Now I could have said that as the conclusion. The point is to know that we aren't, as that we're equally important, uh, that we're not, that we're not more important than others. Yeah. But if I said that as the conclusion, then everybody would go, "Yes, I'm not more important than others," and not think about it. But if I pose it as a question to investigate whether you are more important than others, then you have to think about it. Okay. And in this uh, meditation, as in all meditations, thinking about something is, uh, is really what is going to put it in your heart and make a, a change in your own mind. Just saying the words and, and saying the conclusion isn't going to change your mind because you still hold the same old views. It's like we all know oh, all phenomena are empty of an air in existence. You can say that in your sleep, can't you? Yeah? Does anybody understand what it means? Does it change how we relate to ourselves and others in the world? No, but we say it all the time. But we don't think about it. Yeah, so we have to really think about it, you know. Art, do things inherently exist? They certainly look like they do, don't they? Yeah. When you think I doesn't, isn't there a feeling? I am here. You know what are you talking about? I'm here, and I am an independent person who makes my own decisions, who's in control of my life, and want to control everybody else's life also. Yeah? Do we ever question that, that feeling of I? You know? No. Who was it? I think Chankya said that we, when we negate empty, inherent existence, it's like taking a hat off of somebody but, but leaving, you know, the, the rest of it there, you know. So we're not really... We don't really understand what the object to be negated is, but we, you know, uh, take it off by words, but we, you know, we're not getting the point. Yeah. And, uh, and it's very true. And so the same with this, you know, am I more important than others? Well, what's, what's your feeling inside yourself? Yeah, I mean, we're all with friends. We can be honest. Yeah, you know. Who do we think is more important? Me. Yeah. Not just that we think we are more important. We are more important, you know. And the rest of the world should just realize that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but we don't question it. Especially when we're in the middle of some kind of tangled up discussion about something, you know, like 
my viewpoint is right. Concrete versus tracks. What are we going to have? I want concrete. I want tracks. Who wants tracks? Who wants concrete? Why do you want concrete? Why do you want tracks? Oh, come on. You know, like, yeah. I mean, this is the current thing that's up, that's on the mind. Why, you know, well, it's Saturday, so nothing's happening. But, you know, why the guys left yesterday? Because we could, you know, we all of a sudden, uh, you know, looked at the plans. And, um, yeah, we looked at the plans that we hadn't looked at before, although we'd been looking at them for months and years now, and saw that the deck was called out to be concrete, and we all expected it to be tracks. <sighs> How could Tim call it out for concrete? Yeah, well, I thought about it, and I came up with a few good reasons, but um, the people talked with him, yeah? There were some good reasons for it. And I wonder if they're the good reasons I came up with. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, we, we all have our own views, and we just latch into that, you know. You know, who wants concrete? Who wants tracks? You know, let, let's, let's have a symposium. You know, not just one vote. Let's have a whole conference on, on it. And then after that, we can talk about the ceiling in the library because he also made it so that all the pipes and electrical work shows because that's the latest modern thing that you have in buildings now is all the pipes and stuff show in the ceiling. That's supposed to be the in thing, you know. So that's what he has in our library ceiling. Not in my library. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, we latch on. This is my idea. You know, I have no idea. I can't think of a good one why he did that. In all that space, because they had... Yeah. So that gives them two feet to put all their pipes. No, we we lower the ceiling to 10 feet. Yeah, not very easy. We lower it 10 feet. We need to have a symposium on that one, too. And do you want your library ceiling to be 10 feet with no pipe showing or 12 feet with pipes? Now, this is a crucial thing that is going to determine the moods and the feeling of the community in this uh, Abby for time, you know, infinite. Because in your next life, you're going to be born here and go in that library <laughs> and say, who made, who put in the pipes? <laughs> you know, so that they see that may have been the, you know, the in thing to do in 2022, but that was already... 50 years ago, and nobody does it that way. You know, we got to redo the whole ceiling now. Yeah, so, so you see, that's our, what our future lives are going to be all hung up on. <laughs> and what they're going to spend hours and days talking about is making the design for, for the, the library ceiling. But we could do that now and save our future lives the problem. <laughs> Yeah?
of course, we'll get so involved in our ideas being right that we may not be born here to discuss, <laughs> to enjoy the, the ceiling at all, you know? Unless by that time they let the cats in the library and lie and look at the ceiling all you want to. Okay. But you, do you, you see how we just get completely fixated on me, you know, and what I think is correct and what I want is most important and my pain and suffering everybody shall know about, which I haven't told you about, and I've been talking for seven minutes. Um, you want to hear my latest pain and suffering? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure you really want to hear that. Crash, crash, crash. <laughs> okay. So I, the point is coming up here, and this is what we we have to look at, because it comes up all day long every day. Yeah, and um, I've been thinking also, of, you know, this whole thing—not just I and you know what I think is most important, but my, what that two-letter word does to my mind. Yeah, my, or expanding it to four letters, mine. Yeah. Think about it, how as soon as you put that word, you connect the meaning of that word with some object, your whole way of relating to that object changes. Yeah, totally. It's one one two-letter word, but it changes the world, mine. Yeah, this is mine. Don't you touch it. Don't you criticize it. Don't you badmouth it. Don't you be unpatriotic towards it. This is mine. And we're going to fight about what is mine because you think what is mine is yours and you're wrong. Yeah? So let's have a war. Wars are good for the economy. Yeah, they're very good. They rev up production. You know, they're making ammunition in Ohio like crazy now. You know, very profitable for Ohio to have a war. No, Iowa. Not Ohio. Iowa. Yeah. So they stopped killing pigs and now they're making ammo. You know, but just my, you know. Yeah, some people saying this is my land, other people saying no, it's my land. Yeah. And then killing each other about it. Isn't that one of the most stupid things you can think of doing? Yeah. I, I think of, I, I cannot understand that. And yet, What do we do whenever we're frustrated with something? When we think it's ours and other people think it's theirs? 
Yeah, we get really mad. Yeah, we we may not uh, bomb them, but some people take out their own ammo and do a job. I mean, it's crazy. And we think, well, that's other people who do that. But, you know, we have the same self-centered thought that they do. Uh, There's nothing to be proud here, you know, as long as you have that self-centered thought. Who knows what crazy thing will do? So, yeah, I've been... uh, talking a lot about using the word stupid a lot, you know, how we do stupid things. Um, And it sounds rather, you know, oh, how can you call all these sentient beings who have Buddha nature? How can you say that they do stupid things? Well, they do do stupid things. I do stupid things. I've done enough stupid things. Yeah. And I continue to do more even though I've done more than enough. Yeah. So I think we have to be willing to admit that. Yeah? You do stupid things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? And I look at the things I've done stupid things about, and I've been very lucky because I could have gotten in a whole lot of trouble Yeah, doing stupid things. Yeah. We could we could that would make a good skit thing, acting out the stupid things we've done. Okay, I won't go off on that one. Yeah. But I have a few good stories. Um okay. So let's come back and you know, instead of thinking about ourselves, let's think about the three jewels and think of their uh their qualities, and that they have had these same difficulties we have and done stupid things too before they became awakened. Um, And yet they practiced the path and overcame all of that, so we can too. Yeah, so let's not stay stuck in, oh, I do so many stupid things, I'm so hopeless, because that's just more me, I, my, and mine stuff. Hmm. How many of you think you're the worst one here? Mm -hmm. Some hands didn't go up. What, you think you're better than the rest of us? (laughs) No, but it's the same mind, isn't it? I'm the worst, I botch up everything, and I'm the best, I I do everything perfectly. It's the same thing. So as Helena said, if you want to be selfish, be wisely selfish and take care of others. So think about what that means and how you can put it into practice in your life. And in that way, generate bodhicitta.
Okay, so think about what my means. Yeah, and we might say, well, it means for something to belong to someone. What does belong mean? What does it mean that something belongs to me? Who is the me it belongs to? And what does belong mean? Belong mean just that I put my name on it? What does it mean for something to be mine? It's really interesting, you know, just think about because we use these words and these concepts all the time. Yeah, this is my bowl. What does it mean that that bowl is mine? Does it give me some special power over that bowl? And how do I know it's mine? Is that because there's a name on it? What happened? If that's what makes it mine, then if we take that, that sticker off, then it's no longer mine. Why does a sticker matter? Can I keep the sticker on and still say it doesn't belong to me, give it away? What am I giving up when something no longer belongs to me? Yeah. Think about We never think about this, do we? What does it mean? And from the time we were little kids, these are my marbles. Yeah. This is my stuffed animal. This is my bottle, whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's around the, the terrible twos. I think it's around the time when kids learn two important words. One is no, and the other one is my. Yeah, boy, at age two, we're already, you know, set up. We're having a lot of problems. No, mine. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, what does it mean? Yeah. As a kid, we have some idea. If this is mine and it isn't my brother's, then what? What does that mean? Yeah. That means I can move it from here to here without anybody getting upset? Well, mom or dad may get upset when I move it from here to here because they don't like where it's going. So, yeah, so what does it mean? Because we always hold on to what is mine, don't we? Yeah, mine. I don't want to pay taxes. This money is mine aside from the fact that other people gave it to me and that I was born broke. And for years and years and years, I had no money. And then somebody started giving me money. So now it's my money. It's not their money. 
Now it's not just that they gave it to me, they owe it to me. And then we proliferate, you know, many, many ideas, don't we? What is fair, what is not fair, how we're going to protest things that are not fair. The unfairness is always about people being unfair to us. Yeah, and the people on our side. We don't think of it when we're being unfair to other people. Because we would never be unfair. We're good Buddhists. Okay. So next time you have a discussion with somebody over, is this yours or is this mine? And not just talking about objects, but talking about chores. Yeah? Is this my chore or is this your chore? Yeah. Well, if it's chores, then it's yours. <laughs> 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 if it's extra food, it's mine. <laughs> this isn't my chore. Look, your name is on the chore list under this, not my, not my name. Well, that was last week's chore list. <laughs> well, just because somebody else didn't change it doesn't mean I should do your chore. You should know that you're on the short list this week. Yeah. But look, again, what is how I, and I am more important than others, and what is mine and what is others, how all of this comes in on, you know, on top of a poor vacuum cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> and the vacuum cleaner is just trying to do its work. And we put all this stuff on it. You know, no wonder it can't move. <laughs> okay, so um, let's go back to the nine points. So we talked last time about the first three points that have to do with conventional reality, that everybody wants happiness and doesn't want happiness doesn't want unhappiness. Okay. Yeah, that one we already have a not a problem with. Don't we? Yes, everybody wants happiness, but still my happiness is more important. Yeah. They want happiness, but they don't deserve it. You have to earn your happiness around here. How do you do that? By vacuuming floors. <laughs> Not by studying the Dharma. People around here don't praise you if you study the Dharma. They praise you if you do your chores on time. <laughs> true or not true? <laughs> do we have something mixed up in terms of what we're praising? Somebody who wants to study 
Yeah, like Shanti Deva. Oh, that lazy bum. He's just lying in his room all time, eating, sleeping, going to the toilet. Shanti Deva has no good qualities. Yeah. But give him a vacuum cleaner, and he has the opportunity of a lifetime to make a name for himself. This is something's wrong. Something's wrong. Okay. On the whiteboard, you know, it's always do your chores today. It's never, you know, make sure you review your notes today. (laughs) Yeah, please meditate on the teaching you heard last night today. That's not written on the board. What is the most important thing? Doing your chores. Second most important thing is having a rota for chores. It completely takes out the fun of everybody coming together and making something happen because they care about it. Instead, who is on the chore list? Okay, well, today it's Monday. Okay, so I got to set up the water bowls in here. Uh, but Tuesday I have to set them up in uh, Ananda. And Wednesday I have to take them down in the Kuan Yin room. And Thursday, uh, what do I do Thursday? Uh, oh, I'm supposed to set up these, you know, tables and things for for uh, Geshe Take. And then I'm so exhausted, I go to my room and rest while he teaches. Um, <laughs> okay. So everybody wants happiness and to avoid suffering equally. And this thing of deserving happiness. This comes up. um, I was writing to one guy who was imprisoned in California. And he had uh, some liver disease that was going to be, it was not good. He was throwing up blood and everything, remember? And um, he needed a liver transplant. But he was an inmate. And lots of people thought inmates uh, should be at the bottom of the list for liver transplants. Their lives are not worth very much. So give a good liver to somebody who is rich and famous and covers up all their boo-boos. And, you know, somebody who's imprisoned because this guy had grown up just... When you read about how he had grown up, it, there's, you know, the school to prison pipeline, it's right there. So, you know, but his life isn't worth as much. So our, our second and third points in this first one is, uh, you know, if there's ten beggars to help some of them and not others, yeah, why do we consider some people more important than others? Yeah. 
If there's 10 patients, why do we treat some but not others? And we can think of all sorts of reasons for this. You know, this person is more likely to survive, so, you know, the triage should go to them first rather than somebody who's, you know, barely breathing. So, you know, that on a practical level, that's true. But that shouldn't make us think inside of our hearts that somebody else's life is less valuable. We may choose to help one over another because the possibility of the help coming out good might be better. But we should value everybody's life equally. And sometimes, you know, the person whose life we should value is the person who's made a lot of mistakes but is uh, changing. Yeah. And to give them another chance. Some of you, Tracy, um, our friend Tracy, her brother, has an incredible story about this. We, uh, some of you have read about it. He was a cop, and um, he got shot. And so, uh, of course, you know, somebody who shoots a cop, they instantly want to put that person to death. You know, that's like, you can shoot other people, but don't you shoot a cop. So, uh, but what happened is he wound up uh, going on visiting days and getting to know the guy who shot him and getting to know him as a person and seeing his regret, seeing his potential, yeah. And so Tom and his wife, I think, put him through school so he could he could uh, go to college and you know, it's, it's an amazing story. And Tom just wrote, Tom's brother, um, just wrote an article uh, about guns, you know, and saying we should get rid of the Second Amendment. This is a cop saying that. Yeah. And he says in the article, I've been on both sides of shooting somebody and being shot at. And this is my conclusion from it all. It's really moving, okay? But he was somebody who could see the potential in people who uh, most, most of society, they just throw away. Yeah. yeah, you just wrote me, you just read some of Al's memoirs. Yeah, one of the guys we're writing to. This guy is an incredible writer, yeah incredible writer, and he make, makes these little vignette stories that, that leave you like, whoa, yeah. And yet, I don't know, he didn't have much education. He killed his mother and his stepfather. So even in Buddhism, this is like the worst thing you can do. And yet, he's somebody who's an incredibly good practitioner. And who, in the prison where he lives, you know, soothes a lot of potential arguments and so on. Okay, so what I'm getting at is we have to look beyond the superficial. And we, 
yes, there are practical reasons for many things, but there are also, uh, what does practical mean? Here's another one. What does practical mean? It's more practical to give some guy who just did a Ponzi scheme that cheated people a lot of millions of dollars. Uh, They get the liver transport. uh, Transport. Uh, Yeah, they get a new liver. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but the guy who came from a poor family who's trying to get food for their younger siblings who held up a grocery store, you know, no, they don't get a liver transplant. They get put in jail for as long as you can. Okay? So uh, to, to start questioning things that we've always taken for granted. Yeah? And... Now, some people may say, oh, but you're questioning things that the Buddha, uh, you know, they aren't in, in Buddhism. You know, why do you have to realize that in order to become a Buddha? Um, but in my mind, it's like everything pertains to the Dharma. Yeah. And if you, the Dharma, if you can't make the Dharma, use the Dharma to, to look at everything in your life, then, then what are we doing? I mean, for example, um, a few years ago, the Zen people in America, they learned that a lot, that several of their Roshis, who they valued so much, who they saw as enlightened beings, had been uh, on the side of the Japanese Imperial Army during World War II and favored what the Japanese did, which was basically occupy most of the countries down the coast of China into parts of Indochina, and brutal. The occupation was totally brutal, horrible. I talked to some people in Singapore who had been in Malaysia when it was occupied by the Japanese. And yet the the Roshis favored this kind of expansionism by their own government. So then the Zen people in America are going, were they really enlightened beings if you favor that kind of thing? Or did they do it just because that was expected of them? What, what is going on here? You know, and the question really came up, you know, to what extent do you apply uh, the Dharma to things that are happening in society? Or do you just say, well, it's wartime, so, you know, what the Buddha said doesn't really count. I mean, that, that's, I mean, just you talk in terms of the theistic religions, First Amendment, do not kill. Well, but that doesn't count in wartime. And that doesn't count when somebody else took our stuff. And that doesn't apply when, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Okay. So, to, you know, to what degree do we use the Dharma in our lives and make uh, decisions according to that? Okay. 
And a further question, does that mean, yeah, and because some people are using their religion to make political decisions, but their religion has different beliefs than our religion, you know, and our religion has different beliefs than theirs. So you may do something for a religious reason, but does that give you the, the uh, right to put your religion, uh, your religion's values on other people? Okay, this is what the abortion debate is about. This is what the LGBTQ plus debate is about. This is what the, you know, the trans kids is about. This is what, what children read. Yeah, there's this whole big thing now about banning books. We're like the Soviet Union now. Free speech, you can say anything you want if you're a congressperson, but your kids cannot read, you know, or your kids can read books about, you know, congresspeople swearing at each other, but they can't read books about LGBTQ kids playing ball together. I don't know, but this is, again, something to think about. What, what do we question? And what do, you know, when we really take the Buddhist teachings and go deeply, what, what does that mean? And does that mean that a lot of our societal um, norms don't apply? Or at least for us as Buddhists living in society, we're going to live according to what the Buddha said, not according to what, you know, we won't break the law, but that's other people's religion is not going to, you know, be put, put on, on our heads, but we will live according to what we believe. Is that making some sense to you? Yeah. It's like it's, yeah, religious freedom. Everybody can live according to their beliefs. But on the other hand, you need certain things that are common that everybody agrees on. Okay. But you can have a law that everybody agrees on, but that doesn't mean everybody's going to uphold it. Yeah. And there's different ways to get around that, but uh, that's not my business. <laughs> okay. So I think a lot of these things are things we should not only think about it, but talk about with each other. Yeah. Because they they do come back to uh you know, who's more important? Who's more important and what are standards that I live by? when we talk about, yes, I want free speech. Well, does free speech, how far does that go for other people? Because a lot of people are stretching a lot of things now into places that they, they didn't go. 
I was reading, I'll just go off on this for a minute, but I was reading about um, I mean, what's happening in the, the courts, and especially the Supreme Court, is this whole thing of originalism. And so you look at how the what something in the Constitution meant to people in 1776 or whatever year it was adopted. Okay, so in terms of gun laws, you know, they had muskets. <laughs> and people having muskets, and I mean, it was a whole different atmosphere about guns and the use of guns, which still I don't want to have anything to do with. But it's certainly not the way it's being interpreted today. You know, today it's being interpreted well. You know, they had muskets in 1776, and you could go out in public walking around with your musket. Nobody said boo, and it wasn't a danger to anybody. So you can carry your AK-47 or 45 along the streets. Now uh, you don't need a license. And you know what? They are now making AR-15s for children. Miniature AR-15s for kids so that parents who want their kids to grow up defending the Second Amendment can start teaching their children when they're five and six years old how to handle a military weapon. Okay. How did I get off on that? Okay, but what I'm talking about here is, you know, how far do things extend? And, and, and to think for ourselves, okay, society may say something is okay, but what about me? Do I think that's okay? Yeah. Society says, thou shalt not jaywalk. Okay. I don't believe that. I jaywalk. Yeah, much to her horror. Yeah, every time she's with me, she's... <laughs> You're going to run down. And you too. It's like... You know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what's wrong with jaywalking? Nothing's wrong with jaywalking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not jaywalk. I don't jaywalk on I-5. You know, give me a break. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. You don't jaywalk, do you? No. <laughs> oh, I'll teach you how. <laughs> it's not hard. You just wait because the the stoplight's up there. When the stoplight's up there, goes, then the cars, there's no cars, then you just cross then. doesn't matter. Yeah, it's okay. You can get all across, across all four many times without getting hit. I've done it. <laughs> Living proof. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're Pete Buttigieg, who's our Department of Transportation. The highest increase in deaths this year is pedestrian crosswalking. So I want you to know that things are starting. <laughs> what did you say, 
people, people he's had a, there's a big discussion going on right now, the part of the infrastructure bill is going to try to get cities to enhance where people need to walk, because people are getting nailed, trying to do things that they think they can do. <laughs> and they're, well, they're even getting, they're even getting nailed on the crosswalks. Pedestrians getting killed and bicyclists in towns right now has gone through the ceiling in the past year or two. Just to let you know that's part of the facts. <laughs> but isn't the fault of, I mean, it should be drivers who give way to pedestrians. Yeah. They're testing what? Texting. Oh. We're getting controlled by technology, aren't we? And we are totally addicted to it. We're texting. I am on the way. <laughs> then you look at the road for another thing. Uh, I'm going to turn right next. I'll be there in half an hour. I'll be there in 22 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you text about? Do you really, do we really need to spend our lives texting so much? Oh, sorry, I'm just staring at some people. <laughs> Maybe it applies to them. <laughs> oh, you thought I wasn't looking long enough at you either? <laughs> but she, she's, she's further along on her 100,000 texts than you are. Yes, this was a topic of great discussion on our trip. Give me the phone. <laughs> no! <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. point is, keep checking and see how I and mine and me and all of that all inevitably comes in. Yeah to what we think. I jaywalk, so jaywalk is fine. Yeah? I don't know why you people are so conservative. <laughs> what, you think we're back in 1776? Yeah, where they don't have cars? Yeah. So back in 1776, you look this way to see if there was, you know, a cart drawn by a horse or, or an oxen coming, and then you look this way, yeah, and then you decided not to cross because they were so far away. Okay, so then the second set of three is um, three reasons from, uh, the first set was the three reasons from the point of others, but looking conventionally. The second set is three reasons from our own viewpoint, okay, also conventionally. So the first one here is that um, all sentient beings have been kind to us in the past and they're being kind to us in the present and they will be kind to us in the future. So seeing that all these beings have been kind to us, um, not just in this life, but in previous lives, and they will be fine in, in future lives, then it doesn't make any sense to favor some 
and not favor others, or to hold grudges against some and uh, and not others, you know, because basically they've all been kind to us and have have been and are and will be kind to us. Okay. Now, some people might say, that car that didn't slow down for a pedestrian, you know, he's not being kind. Or that pedestrian who jaywalked, they're not being kind. So how can you say all sentient beings have been kind? Those two have not been kind. Well, maybe one's been kind because I agree with them. But the other one I disagree with hasn't been kind. And so some people have been kind. They deserve more help. Other people haven't been as kind, so they don't deserve any help. And in fact, they could use a little bit of uh, their own medicine and taste their own medicine. They could stand in my shoes for a while and see what they've done to me that's destroyed my life. Who said these guys have been kind? Yeah, there's people, you know, the way their mind works is, uh, you know, because of things that have happened to them or because of their attitudes brought from previous lives or things they've experienced in this life, you know, the first thing is, you know, in a new situation is, where is their danger? Yeah. And other people approach a new situation with, you know, how interesting. New ideas, new people. And other people approach the new situation with, are they going to like me? Am I going to fit in? But do we, how often do we actually train our mind when we go in situations so that our third, our thought is, uh, they've been kind to me. Yeah. You know, in the morning and in the evening, you know, at the beginning and end of meditation, when you bow to each other, what's the meaning of doing that? It's not just exercise. Yeah. It's saying, you've been kind to me, and I acknowledge that. You know, you're valuable, and I acknowledge that. So when you don't want to look at people, you know, you kind of bend over appropriately, and you kind of look like you're looking at people, but actually you don't want to make eye contact with anybody. Then why not? These are all the people who have been kind to you. Don't you want to look at them and acknowledge what they've done, acknowledge their potential as human beings? You know, it's just small things to look at somebody, but boy, we, I'm not going to even look at that guy. I'm not looking at you. I hate your guts, <laughs> but I'm not looking at you. <laughs> okay, but to really train the mind, you know, whenever 
You see somebody, you know, they've been kind to me. They say, I think it was Lama Atisha, you know, uh, he kind of called everybody Amala, you know, meant Lama Atisha spoke Tibetan. I wonder, how do you say Mama in Sanskrit, in Hindi? Anyway, he, um, you know, he would call, because, you know, he was going around on donkeys and yaks and everything. He would call them all Mama, you know, Amala. Think about it. You know, they've been your mother, and now they're carrying all your stuff on their back. They've been kind. And look at the shape that they're in, having to be a beast of, of burden. Huh? Yeah, so to actively uh, train the mind, because we always are going into new situations, and to, to see, oh, there's somebody who's kind. Okay, because it's true. We say, well, it's only true if you think past and future lives, but I don't really believe in them, except that I'm going to have a good future life. Uh, you know, but otherwise, I don't believe in them. Or, yes, I believe in them, but they haven't been that kind to me in a past life. They were also mosquitoes. You know, so why why should I respect them this life? Because they drank my blood in previous lives. They haven't been kind. Okay, well that that uh, brings us to the second point in these three points, which is our saying. Oh, but they haven't been kind. Yeah, they've been mean to me more times than they've been kind to me. Yeah, why? Because I have a very refined computer system. Well, no, it's not a computer system. It's a memory in my brain, in my mind, wherever it is, that remembers every single thing people did to me that they made me unhappy. And I never forget those. Yeah. Do you remember in first grade somebody hitting you? Yeah. I remember in first grade our neighbors used to throw stones over the fence to try and hit us. Yeah. And who second grade? Yeah. It was the dark, it was the teacher who wouldn't let me be in the class play. Who was it, third grade? Anyway, I'm sure if I thought long enough. You know, every, you know, we can find an enemy all throughout our lives. You know, somebody who doesn't do what we say, doesn't do. In high school, then it becomes our parents. They won't let me do that. They won't let me do this. Although nowadays, I don't think kids complain about that because parents... Don't their kids are running wild most of the time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But we always come up, oh yeah, yeah, they've been kind. I should train my mind like that. But they've also been really mean, so why why should I be kind to them? Yeah. 
they've been mean to me, I should hold a grudge. That's the only right thing to do. Anybody in their right mind who got treated in this way by that person, whose trade, whose trust was betrayed in this way, the only way they can possibly feel is anger at being treated this way. That's how every rational, reasonable person would feel. Why should I see them as kind just because maybe in a past life they gave me a tamale? <laughs> you know, if I'm going to think somebody's kind, they better really be kind. And they should not do what this person did. Yeah. This tough person talked bad about me behind my back to a whole group of friends. And I got ostracized. <laughs> okay. I was the last one. No, they, every day took turns picking people to be on the softball team. I was the last one. Nobody wanted me on their softball team. Yeah. Oh, you feel sorry for me. I can tell it in your face. <laughs> really? I mean, when you're in fifth grade, this is devastating. Yeah. So then Shantideva, okay, well, we had the first one, everybody's been kind to us. Yes, train your mind in that, okay. The second one, where, where our mind fights back, well, they've actually been mean to me too. Why should I see them as kind? Yeah, and what the sages say is, well, if you compare the amount of kindness They've shown towards you in past, present lives, and will show in future lives. With the amount of harm they've given you, if you compare that, you've received much more benefit from other living beings than you have harm. Yeah. But this is what's interesting about the way our very obscured mind thinks is we remember the harm and the goodness we forget about. Because the goodness is often uh, just what happens every day, so it becomes what we expect, so we don't notice it. We only notice the harm because it, would, it doesn't happen very frequently, and, you know, and it wasn't expected. Yeah. But... You know, so you go for breakfast every morning. How often do you think about, wow, somebody um, cooked this food. Somebody transported this food. Somebody grew the crops that, you know, of this oatmeal, whatever you're eating. Okay? No, we think, oh, they planted the crops, but then they sprayed it with some kind of horrible stuff. Yeah, 
they're trying to kill us. They don't care about humanity. They're just spraying it with all this other stuff. But they're also kind because if we didn't have the stuff that was sprayed, we wouldn't have anything. Yeah. So you kind of have to cut some slack in some way. The spraying isn't good, but why are we going to see those people as enemies? You know, as they're trying to kill me. No, they're just doing their jobs and they're not thinking about it because they don't have the mental space to think about it. Okay? But, you know, to, to really watch how our mind says, yes, they've been kind, but... Yes, this person has been kind, but they also did this. And so how much kindness they show doesn't matter because what's most important is the harm they gave me. Even though compared to the benefit they gave me, the harm was so small. Yeah. And we imprison ourselves by holding grudges like this. You know, we hold grudges from things people have done years and years and years ago that they've probably forgotten about, but we've inscribed in our mind and maybe elaborated a little bit when we tell the story uh, to really emphasize how unfair it was and how much we suffered. But who's in jail when we hold grudges? Who suffers? Yeah. Not the other person. It's us. It's us. You spend your whole life making sure you don't look at somebody. (laughs) And often that somebody is a relative because this is where some of the deepest grudges are, you know. You didn't invite me to, you know, your granddaughter's ex-boyfriend's new sister-in-law's brother's wedding. (laughs) You didn't invite me. Oh, I'm not speaking to you again. (laughs) Okay? Well, we hold things like that. We really do. And then we expect them again. Next time we meet that person, yeah, we expect them to do the same thing. So we just never speak to them again. We never go any place where they are. We totally ignore them. Yeah. Or we seek revenge. Yeah. The sweet taste of revenge. Sweet taste, really? Harming somebody is a sweet taste? What does that do to us as a human being? Yeah. Okay. So giving up the grudges. And it's very interesting, yeah, because as you start to look back, you'll see some people that you have grudges against, yeah? 
okay, I gotta work on those. Then you start seeing people who, what they did isn't really terrible, but you don't trust them. Yeah. And why don't you trust them? Because the last interaction you had with them, they did something that you don't like. So if you do something I don't like, like eat all the rest of the broccoli when you know that I still haven't come through to get more broccoli, you know, if you do something I like, and that's my last interaction with you, that's what I remember. You're a broccoli monger. (laughs) No consideration for anybody else, i.e. me. It's interesting to see how how we hold grudges and what that means and how I was thinking about it. You know, one of one of the great stories I tell about how I had a book in process to be published, and then this group of people who were very important people who were famous were very selfish and they did their own thing and kept the book from getting published. Yeah. And this happened, I was thinking about it this morning. This this happened in uh, 1996. So that's what, like, uh, you know, almost 30 years? Yeah, 27 years. Yeah, thinking about what these people did, and especially one of them, who actually called to apologize, but I didn't believe his apology at all, so I didn't pick up the phone. I just let it go on the voicemail, and then I deleted it. You know? So him, I haven't seen him in I don't know how many years. Yeah. That's okay with me. He's famous. I'm not. He harmed me. That's okay. I'm taking on the suffering of myself. (laughs) Okay? You know, this guy, ugh. But when I stop and think, you know, he's done so many good things in his life. Really, many, many good things in his life. Helped many, many people. Yeah. It's just my jealousy. Yeah. And the fact that he kept my book from getting published. But actually, it turned out it was good it didn't get published. And that's a whole other story, which I'm not going to tell you now. Yeah, that it was good it didn't get published. You don't know what's a hindrance and what's a blessing. That was actually something good. So, in my eyes, so that means it's inherently good. In their eyes, it wasn't good because they wanted their parts in it and 
I didn't put their parts. I, did, I abbreviated their parts. They wanted their parts fully in it, showing how great they are. Greater than me. It was just the editor. Okay. So you look, and you know, your mind is doing some kind of like whacked out trip. Like, who in the universe cares about this? You know? Yeah, even I told you the story. Do any of you care about it? <laughs> Are any of you bummed out? Yeah? Yeah? Any of you want to retaliate against these people? Yeah, you, you want to help? (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait until I tell you, and you may not. Mm. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Okay. But it's very interesting to, to look back and, you know, which people I don't like and why don't I like them. Because being an enemy and not liking somebody is, is a little bit different, you know. So I don't like them. But why don't I like them? Because they did this, or they said this, or they thought this. And whatever it was, was something I didn't like. So that's the criteria. Why is somebody an unnice person? Because they did something I don't like. So you all better be very careful and walk on eggshells and make sure you do everything I like. Otherwise, I'm going to put you in that basket and keep you there for 27 years. (laughs) Okay. Or maybe longer than 27 years. Okay. So the, the third point in that, you know, so we had everybody's been kind and well, they've also harmed me, but that's not really something that should uh, should let you interfere with seeing their kindness, because the kindness has been so much greater than the harm. And that was the second one. The third one was, even if they've been mean to you, we're all going to die. So what use is it holding a grudge? Yeah in looking at the fact that you're going to die, and they're going to die, and for sure in a hundred years, probably less, none of us are going to be here, then who cares what they did from what they did that I didn't like? Yeah. If you guys don't care now about it, you're certainly not going to, you know, care in another 27 years when you're dying, and but I'll care about it, you know, another 27. And then I'll think, oh, yeah, these people did that to me. And then the people at the Abbey, they didn't even stay on my side. They stayed on his side. Oh. No, but you think about it. If we're all going to die, what use is it holding a grudge against somebody? What benefit? does it have? And our confused mind says, it protects me. Because this is somebody 
you know, who harm me. Harm means do something I don't like. Check that up. If every time somebody does something you don't like, it's ha- it harms you. Check up if that's true or not. I don't think so. But anyway, our confused mind said, yeah, they did something I don't like, so it harmed me. So I deserve to get revenge. I deserve to hold a grudge. So I deserve to make myself miserable by holding a grudge. That's my right. If I want to make myself miserable, I'll do it. And we do. Okay. And so here it's saying, well, what for what purpose? Why why are you holding holding on to that and making yourself miserable? Especially since we're all gonna die. And at the time of death, you don't want to be thinking about this. And you don't want the other person to be thinking about it. So why are we wasting our time making a big deal about it now? and engraving it in our mind so that we never forget what was done to us. And, And just saying that, for what purpose? What am I trying to prove? Nothing. What is it I really want? This is a time to have a really good conversation with yourself, you know, the grudge holding you and the wisdom you, you know, what are you trying to get out of it? Well, it it makes me feel like I'm important. Okay, makes you uh, feel that you're important. How? Why is being a Why is being important uh, important? Yeah, what do you get out of being important? Well, they harmed me, and I felt lousy about it. And I don't want to just be ignored and be invisible. I want the world to, to acknowledge that I was harmed. No. And my second grade teacher harm me, you know, by not letting me be in the class play. Even though she taught me so many wonderful other things and I thought she was a wonderful teacher, that one action. How old was I in second grade? Second grade, what are you? You're seven. Okay, so I don't want to even tell you how many years ago. Yeah. So why am I holding on to it? Why? You know, or things that happen with your siblings. I have a real good one with my brother too. Oh, my brother. <laughs> rumble, rumble, rumble. And this one wasn't twenty-seven years ago. Yeah. This one was closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, for what purpose? For what purpose? 
well, he wasn't very nice to me. Congratulations. <laughs> now, this is the way you talk to yourself, thoughts. Congratulations, somebody wasn't nice to you. So what? Do you ever say that to yourself? No, we never say so what. We always say, so what? Because da 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 da. It's important. But really, if I'm the only one on this planet, and that's only counting the human beings on this planet, which now of which there are eight million, not seven million. Billion. Yeah, I meant that. I, I said billion. I just made it my rhyme with million. <laughs> Are you criticizing me? <laughs> okay. So, you know, we're, if we're the only person that has this recorded in our memory, you know, maybe that's why you invented God because you couldn't remember all of this, and so God's supposed to remember all the harms that have been done to you and then punish that person. My goodness, give our dirty work to God. <laughs> really, isn't it? You know, you harm me, you committed a sin, God's going to punish you? <laughs> okay. So, you know, do we ever, when our mind's holding on to something, do we ever say, so what? So what? Why am I holding on to that? And then you listen to your mind tell you the story about why you're holding on to it. And then you realize that you've heard that story before, that you've recited it to yourself almost every day since the thing happened. And if somebody else told you their sob story every day, after two days you would be bored. Why are we so enchanted with our own sob story? I just need somebody to recognize my pain. Well, yes, that would be nice. I would feel understood. But... There's no law in the universe saying that everybody has to recognize my pain. So why am I holding on to this so much? I'm recognizing my own pain. Isn't that sufficient? <laughs> I, you know? Why am I holding on to this pain and making myself recognize it over and over and over again? Yeah. And you wonder, as you go through life, you know, when you see people who have made decisions and then not like the results and then hold on to that, you know, for their whole life. You know? And, you know, they're bitter. They become bitter, you know. We got married, and they were so wonderful, and they loved me, and they were so kind, and then they went and cheated on me. And you hold on to that your whole rest of your life. Yeah. 
And then you become old and you become bitter because you think you can't trust anybody and you think anytime you have happiness, it's going to be taken away. So you just, you know, stay away and you sit and sulk and feel sorry for yourself. Do you know people like that? Yeah, I know people like that. And it, it's created by the mind. For what purpose? I exist because I feel miserable. It kind of, in some ways, comes down to that. We will do anything to try and support this hallucination that there's a real me that is important. That is, you know, when you really look, that is what we're holding on to. The whole thing revolves around me. So I have to be real and I have to be important. And I am quite miserable (laughs) in the process of it. Yeah. And somebody, you know, you come to a Buddhist teaching and somebody talks about forgiveness. You know, and forgiveness doesn't mean what the other person does. It just means you're going to stop being angry about it. You hear that and you go, you don't understand me. You know, you, you can't even hear it. Okay, so this is our human dilemma. So this is why all these kind sentient beings are stuck in the same human dilemma we're stuck in. It's not just human, it's sentient being dilemma. Okay, And uh, why to have compassion for them? Because, you know, when we look at how nonsensical, you know, giving in to our our afflictions, what it does, you know, to the rest of our life and next life, you know, what we will be reborn in, and our ability to progress on the path. You know, when we really look at how we, um, yeah, we shoot ourselves in the foot all the time, the afflictions. The afflictions shoot ourselves in the foot. Yeah. So here, when it's, you know, this is why it is important to train the mind in, Sentient beings have been kind. Yeah. And everybody wants happiness and not suffer. And, you know, we begin to see how what we're hearing in the teachings is the opposite to what our afflictions say and why it's so important to um, familiarize our mind with these again and again and again rather than uh, with the afflictions and the self-centeredness. Okay, and then next week we'll go through the, the last three or about on the ultimate uh, sense, you know, why we are, why we should investigate if we are more important than others, you know, three, three or re- reasons on the ultimate sense, 
that should hold true if we are more important than others. Yeah. But if these reasons don't hold true, it means we're not more important than others. And as we practice retraining our minds to uh, be in touch with ourselves and see how we, when we give up the grudges and we give up the I'm not going to talk to them thing, um, how much relief we feel. Yeah, to be aware of that when we put down the anger, the amount of relief we feel. Yeah, and then to spend a little bit of time imagining uh, not holding those grudges. Yeah. So you might say, well, to imagine that, then I have to imagine that person not doing those horrible things to me. Well, that might be a starter, you know, imagining that you never experienced those things. But get in touch also after you go on for a while. Get in touch with your inner strength. And it's like, yeah, okay, what that other person did wasn't right, but it's not happening now and I don't want to hook the happiness of the rest of my life to that small thing and put it down. And you feel so much lighter. Yeah, you really feel lighter. Fly.